This is a Strategist, episode 997. My name is Zane Velcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan. And, of course, Stephen Carter. Guys, what is going on? Stephen Carter, NBA Finals. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, Celtics <laughs> or Warriors? And uh, Marcus Smart or Jason Tatum, if the Celtics do advance uh, and win the NBA championship? I got to be honest with you. I think that uh, it's all about Steph Curry. The The long ball is the best ball. Thank you, Carter. Um, yeah, no, avoiding the question. Sidestepping he rejected the kid. your premise. He rejected your That's premise. Good. That's good. This, yeah. is, this is what we're teaching our people. We're teaching our good. people here. No, I, I appreciate uh, it. I think that that's smart. Corey, was there some room for improvement in that answer? Uh, well, I mean, he didn't answer. So that's that's mm-hmm. probably but the that thing I would point out. was the point. Yeah, that was the was point. It, so you actually have an opinion about smart versus Tatum? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not. That's not what you. But do. I was that teaching is, people. You've already lost. I was teaching. I was teaching. You. I mean, you could have just Tatum's. Obviously. I mean, I'm assuming we're yeah. talking about tater tots. Why? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. I noticed they became tatums, like a plural there with your answer. So. Well, that's good, Carter. Okay, that's good. Uh, Corey, anything else we need to discuss up front? I mean, this is the precious moments of the podcast, and we've wasted it on Stephen Carter. And I I make that mistake. I think I made it about, mm, I'm just going to do the math here, uh, 997 (laughs) times. I think this podcast (laughs) has made that mistake to go to Carter first. Uh, I should be going to you first, Corey. I mean, Uh, hope springs eternal. While the people with your general general knowledge of something. Uh, something, You know, I don't know. What are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about how the stock market is is in a bit of a free fall? Are we going to talk about Bitcoin? What are we talking talking about tonight, Zay? Just Bitcoin. any trivia to get the people Bitcoin. excited. Like, Young Street is the longest street in the world. Maybe oh, someone listening didn't that know a, that and they can sit. I'm not convinced that's true. I hear people say that all of the time, but I, I feel like yeah. you're really stretching the definition of street to an extent because, for example, uh, you know, a, a lot of streets become highways. How is 16th Avenue in Calgary not the longest street in the world because it becomes first or Highway 1? So it goes across the country. Exactly. Yeah. Like Is let's let's be exactly? real about Young Street. Let's be real. Young Street. Um, pick a lane. Fifty-one percent of the world's fresh water supply uh, in Canada. I don't know. I'm just giving giving people these, these uh, stats, good. Corey. Okay, that one. That one. You got nothing. Do you you got want to fight on that one? Do you uh, you want to hear something here? You want to hear yeah, something interesting? What do, what, do you, what do you got for the people? Yeah. Uh, adjusted for inflation, the peak that the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit in 1929, it did not get back to until 1960 or for 30 years. Uh, 1959. And then the peak that it hit in 1966, it did not get back to adjusted for inflation until 1996. So again, 30 years. So what I'm telling you is if you're losing money today, you might not make it back for 30 years if things go really off the rails. I want you to go to bed thinking about that tonight, thinking about your, you know, children's RESPs, thinking about your retirement, thinking about all of the possibilities that lay in front of you. Unless you opted out of inflation and purchased Bitcoin, in which case. So, the, so Stratcoin, which we're launching today, will be available <laughs> on the Solana blockchain. Now, let me tell you about Carter. Uh, just no, no, no. People about, it's a, about it's an Algorand one. Come on. Be serious. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Let's move it on to our first segment. We're going to talk about that, guys. But not first and foremost. Let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, Stephen Carter, banner year. I have a very simple question because we we have now seen a variety of different launch style events in the UCP leadership. Uh, just yeah. today, we saw uh, Rajan Sani okay. uh, flanked with banners of Rajan Sani. Uh, Corey, you want you want to jump in on this? Yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious. We're opening with the launch of Rajan Sani's campaign. You know, there's yes, we the, are. there's the January 6th uh, commission, 
Just right? where we're opening up on this. Yes, that's There's right. all of that mess in Toronto. There's the CPC leadership drama. Uh, What's the mess in Toronto? The Young Street thing. The, What's the, the, Pearson, yeah, Pearson, no, Pe- the Pearson, Young Street thing. Pearson, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's drama in NDP constituency associations. Uh, I mean, d- the list doth go on here, and we're going to be talking about... We're talking Have about you Sonny. listened to the podcast? Sonny's Have you been on the podcast for 967 or 70... <laughs> how many episodes? Is this your so first day? Thing, just, okay. Here's the thing. Yeah, Corey, right. Do you literally do you have amnesia? Do you forget what the fuck Thursday was? We did a whole fucking episode. episode. That was on, so good. On Bill Ron. No, now, now I've learned he's the Lord Mayor of Amisk. Now, now that's different than the mayor of Amisk, but he says mayor. So there's a controversy that Bill Rock down. So what I want to focus so today on is, is this how Bill Rock thing? gets out of the scud. Yes, it is. I think what? on his Twitter account he calls himself Lord Mayor. Which we should resolve because okay. there's a, there's a bit of a crisis here. That's stone his opponent's going to go after. That's stone hard. <laughs> I I do want to talk about the Raj and Sonny launch event, Corey Hogan, because she launched today in a 13 minute speech uh, outdoors um, with banners beside her, um, and then she later went to a what seemed like a, a several hundred person event where she launched her campaign on a stage uh, with multiple banners of herself um cory i know you've been trying to make this uh, go viral uh, and meme worthy uh, on the internet but the question i want to ask Stephen carter is i don't want to poke fun at this i want to actually ask carter is the launch event dead because we had raj and sonny do a launch event that that many might characterize as a little bit underwhelming today uh from from how it perhaps looked to us right we're, we're not the membership acknowledged that you had leela here who launched on ryan jesperson's podcast and then with a couple of tweets as far as I can tell, and I'm just going to head on to her Twitter account in a second, I don't see uh, any sort of website. I don't see any sort of brand change. I don't see any sort of like overnight, let's flip the switch uh, sort of thing. So, Carter, the question I have is we've discussed the elements of launch events. We've actually never discussed the binary of are these events dead? Are they even necessary? Talk to me about that. Give me, give me your hot take first, and then we'll jump into some of the, the reasons why yes or no. I have done both the launch event and the non-launch campaign. Yeah, I know you, campaign. you soft so, launched a campaign on this podcast. Uh, no, I'm talking about something different than great. that. That was you guys. You guys were mean to me, and you forced me into launching a podcast, or uh, not a podcast, <laughs> don't a, re- uh, don't, a don't campaign on this. Podcast. We also forced you into launching a podcast. Yes, that is also correct. yeah. We yeah. did that too. Remember, I was sitting in my office saying, "No, I don't want to do it." Anyways, the the point that I'm trying to get to here. Are you, telling me, that, are you uh, telling me that nearly a decade later, you don't want some of this Patreon money? That you don't want to invest in a podcast oh, man. and cash out? <laughs> like The smartest thing in the whole world was to give the check to Heather. That was like uh, unreal, Corey. Like, good call <laughs> on your part. I, I was thinking, you know what? I could use that money for so many things. But when I gave that check to Heather, I'll tell you something. Everything was amazing. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with that. Let me, let me continue on. I yeah, have done do. launch events. Uh, and I have done non-launch events. In fact, I just did a launch event last week in Surrey. Uh, we had a group of people, uh, some 600 people came to an event. Uh, there was a, uh, 10 or 11 minute speech. Um, the audience did all the things that the audience was supposed to do. I don't think it changed. It, it certainly won't change the outcome of the election. It was, uh, it was a fine event. It was absolutely fine. It was as good as you're going to get in these things. And I just don't think it's going to have any real impact. Um, and I think that Raj and Sani's event wasn't as good as you're going to get in those thing in these things. And that's where you might actually have impact because it's not about if your event is good, 
It's about what happens if your event doesn't work. And Zani's event, I don't know how Corey, how long you made it into the video, Corey. I, I think I made it um, three and a half minutes, uh, but I skipped ahead for much of the three and a half minutes. So I'm not even sure how far I made it. So Mike, I, I think that you can do a good launch event. I just think that if you don't do a good launch event, it's going to haunt you. And I don't think Raj and Sonny did a particularly good launch event. So Carter, is that your metric? Just so I understand your take here. Like if you're doing it, do it, like obviously like do it well, but how do you make the decision on whether to do it or not? That's what I'm trying to understand. Because you said you've done both. So what was your what was your metric to decide? Was it the candidate? Was it the moment? Was it where you stood in the race? Like what was I, the strategic calculation based on we're going to go in with a launch event versus we're going to do perhaps the Leela here style? And Corey, I'll come to you in a second. I, I asked everybody on the team how many people will come to the event. And if the answer is less than 200, then we're not doing an event. Um, you know, we got 600 people in Surrey. That was a great event in terms of numbers. It exceeded people's expectations. That was the goal. And, uh, that's a good event. Um, you know, if you're going to have less than 600 people, then why are you doing the event? The, we've talked about it before. If you can't compete, you know, if you can't be the number one in that category, then change your tactic. I think we can be the number one in the launch category. So we did a launch event. When we launched Nanchi, I knew that we couldn't be the number one in the category, right? Mm. I knew that we would have others that would be able to draw more people. Rick McIver could snap his fingers and have a thousand people at an event. We were never going to be able to do that. So we didn't do an event. Leela here couldn't draw as many people, you know, a, a thousand people to an event. So she chose not to do one. I think that that's the right call. And I think that Rajan Sani maybe should have thought a little bit more about what, what she could or couldn't do in terms of the overall impact of her of her event. Corey, is the launch event dead? No, I mean, Stephen started giving the answer I wanted to give here, which is it, it goes back to your campaign, your story, your brand. It depends on what you're trying to do. And for many people, the proper move is just not to try to play in that space. I, I, you know, and when you say launch event, Stephen was talking about a thousand people there. That's not even what the Sony event was. The Sony launch, although there were follow-on events throughout the day. Subsequent this evening, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was really weird it was uh in front of the alberta legislature <laughs> but with banners up so uh, you know a bit of an aside here folks launch outdoors launch with banners don't launch with both right let's let's call that banner rule number one like you <laughs> pick your backdrop right and, and you don't yeah. want to make it as messy and as cluttered as that second rule uh have banners there have your candidate there don't have your candidate there with in front of banners of your candidate there's been a couple of times i'll confess in my own career where we've ended up there because that tends to be collateral you have around like the uh -huh. face on a banner that should never be the backdrop to the leader and one of the minor things that really blows my mind about the sony event is that uh especially the later events of the day she'd be on a stage with four of these banners of her wearing the exact same suit that she was wearing standing at the lectern giving the speech she was giving there. And that's, that's distracting if nothing else. So don't, don't do anything like that. But um, when you decide whether you're going to do an event like this, or maybe just go on the radio, or maybe you are going to try to fill a room of a thousand people that really depends on what you're trying to say as a campaign, or it should, right? Like you shouldn't do these things just because in any kind of context, that's, I mean, this is literally the purpose of this show, right? Strategy. Think about the context, mm -hmm. the strategic context of these things here. And there's been successful non-launches. One of my favorite was Bernie Sanders, I think, launching in, in uh, maybe it was 2012, 2016. 
his campaign where he literally just like walked across a field uh, from yeah. the Congress building. He's like, oh, I'm uh, running for president. And that was his <laughs> launch, right? Uh, but then I've seen, you know, the, the tease for a long time and thousands of people in the room. And that can be very successful as well. But Bernie's brand is, I give no fucks. I'm Bernie Sanders. I've been saying the same thing and I don't care about this bullshit. And it played entirely to his brand. You're Barack Obama and you're doing a launch event. You're supposed to be inspiring people, bringing people in. You bet your fucking ass you're going to have a lot of people at your launch event. So who are you trying to be? That determines every action after that. You know, it's it's market position. Everything flows from market position. Carter, it's and to, can I add a maybe a, a, a comment to what Corey said? It's it's almost like who you want to be, but it doesn't define you for the rest of the campaign, does it? Like you know, I I feel like there's perhaps a misnomer that if we don't have a high energy 800 person launch event, we can't be a high energy campaign. And what Corey's describing here is that Bernie Sanders walks across the Senate, being like, "I got fucking shit to do, but I'm running for president. <laughs> See you later." Yeah. Um, that didn't mean that he didn't have energy or enthusiasm or momentum right like i think there's perhaps a lesson here to be learned but am, am i right in perhaps suggesting that from me from your practitioner's perspective totally i mean he's saying i am i have other things that are more important than this and that is his central and core message to his campaign so allowing himself that space actually allows him to define why does this light keep going on keep defining the uh the the overall positioning of his campaign structure that's yeah. ultimately what you're trying to do, right? We how many times have we talked about story? How many times? I mean, like every single time we're on the podcast, I'm sure people get exhausted by it, but we're always talking about story. Well, this is the opening chapter. Yeah. Like Leela yeah. here opened her chapter by saying, I'm going to be available. I'm going to answer your questions. That's yeah. a that's a great thing. I think it's a little weird not to have a website, not to be ready for all of those little brandy elements that need to be in place. Um, you know, Ginny Sims, you know, we had uh, all these different kids were in the room. We had, you know, like that, that was our statement, right? We had all of these, you know, families and, and, you know, we, we were focusing on the family or whatever the, the, the messaging structures were, but that focus on the individuals, the, the focus on the bigger picture becomes the message. And that's ultimately what you're looking for is what is my message and how am I getting it out there? And, and I think that Rajan Sani today, um, she launched as though she had a big real, a, a big time campaign. The four events was a big thing, right? Like being able to mm -hmm, do four mm -hmm. events in a single day. I mean, I was impressed by just the logistics piece. I just didn't need the launch in front. I think the problem with it was the launch in front of the, of the legislature. I think if you take away that, that 13 minute speech and in, instead just go with, you know, Raj and Sonny is going to be across the province working hard for all of you. I think it would have been a much stronger set of events where each each city or each place would have had their own media event instead of this kind of one singular media event at the start. I think Corey, that might have worked a bit better. Yeah, you want well, to jump in on this? In some ways, this this talks to I, we talked about story. Uh, mm -hmm. and brand and market position, but capacity also plays a role in this. And like just they the may have frank to, logistical yeah, capacity. They may have bit off more than they could chew. <clears throat> Certainly, I think it it is a sign the team is stretched a little thin when you have some of the. I, like I got like a minute and a half into that video before I started just sort of skipping through and grabbing lines. Uh, Zane, you asked if it was underwhelming. Impossible to say. Nobody has ever gotten through it all. Um, even the people there drifted into fugue states. You could see it. One of them was holding up the banner and kind of leaned out from behind and then leaned back. 
It was yeah, just, it was almost like, is it is it is over? It over? Can I oh, can I step fuck. out of here? But yeah. my point here is, it, you've got to be able to do it too. So you may have the desire to fill a room with a thousand people. 200 people was Carter's number for, for his municipal campaign there. But if you had heard from the people you talked to, Stephen, and they said, no, we'll get 100 people, you wouldn't do yeah. it, right? So no. you've, you've got to know the limits of your team, the limits of your team to fill rooms, the limits of your team to set up the, the stage more generally, uh, and just manage that craft. My sense is the Sony campaign probably leaned really hard into making sure the rooms were full for all of the events and kind of forgot about some of the 101 stuff, the stagecraft stuff, because it was pretty grim. I mean, the video they launched, even the way they set the camera on their own video, everybody could see the feet and you could see the X marks that were there for the supporting cast to stand on that they didn't stand on. Like the whole thing was just a comedy. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> it was just wild. Um, yeah. But that, you know, that speaks to not enough time to rehearse, not enough people thinking this thing through. They didn't have the capacity to do it all. You know, Carter, there's an interest, and you might not find this interesting, or you might disagree, but I'm curious to hear your take on this. That, that you know, we've talked last episode where we talked about Rajan Sani, the memo that Ken Bosenkul wrote for her, which said, you know, you've got a viable pathway. You don't have a lot of caucus support, but that's a good thing, because caucus support means, you know, a reflection of the past leadership, not a reflection of, you know, future leadership. You even saw it in her slogan today, the forward slogan. But yeah, you so know, bold and innovative and forward. Yeah, which, which by the way is the same slogan as my campaign in in British. I saw that. I saw Congratulations. that. So. forward. Yeah, I'm pretty proud we've, of. I, we've I, now got to come up with a slogan either. It's we've got uh, two two South Asian women. Apples slogans. apples comparison. We'll see where this goes, yeah. Carter. With, with both uh, campaigns, I think we very will. different contexts. I think we'll know how. It we'll ends. see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing, you know, Carter, you've run a lot of come from behind campaigns, or what we call like narrow path victory campaigns, yeah. right? Where you're the underdog. And I almost sense, uh, you know, with with some campaigns, and I'm not accusing the Sony campaign of doing this, but if you know you're an underdog, that you have to almost overcompensate with your seriousness on day one, that you don't have any time to waste, that there's there can't be a slow burn to catch up to show viability because you got to do it right away. Talk to me about that a bit because you know there it, because that can it, it can backfire in in certain cases. And I'm trying to extract this beyond the Sony launch today to you know, maybe looking desperate in certain situations, maybe looking like you're, you're an overreach, maybe looking like you're, you're redlining on capacity, as Corey said. So Carter, like, talk to me about the strategy of a campaign that knows it's an underdog that's trying to showcase viability, but, but like, doesn't maybe impose, but feels like they don't have time to, to actually do a slow burn or make the case that they need to show seriousness on day one. Like, is there a misnomer here in strategies or a mistake you see often? Just your reflections on that. This is why we did the Bill Rock piece on on Thursday night, and a lot of people will have missed out on that because they're not Patreon subscribers. Yeah, this subscribers. is a real sales job. This is an opportunity for everybody to subscribe to the podcast on Patreon. Uh, let me let me fill people uh, in. It was an hour of Carter saying uh, uh, Bill Rock, Rock hard. Okay, Carter, go back. I'm, I'm going to say yeah. it so you don't have to. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Anyways, great episode, greatest ever, perhaps episode, but. When we were talking about him, we were talking about how little time he had and how he had to move quickly. He needed yep. to become recognizable in a very short period of time. Obviously, the Raj and Sani team has taken the same look and said, we have to move quickly. We must be seen as, and I would think that they're not actually competing with to be better than Travis Taves, to have a larger launch than Travis Taves, to have yep. more MLAs yep. than Travis Taves, or even Smith or Brian Jean. What she's trying to do is get ahead of the the people that she thinks are going to roll up with her so you're going to have to have you know your you know the schultzes and the 
Michelle Rempel Garners and the years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they're all going to have to roll up into Sonny's and Sonny wants to get ahead of them in case they come in and uh, they take her positioning. Corey, give me your thoughts on this. The the over eagerness, perhaps, of a campaign to look viable on day one versus perhaps dealing with that viability question, that underdog status in a more slow burn perspective. You know, we don't know the date of this leadership just yet, so we can't pinpoint it on this campaign. But just your general comments on on how you've experienced that and, and maybe you've seen success or failure in, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, four events in one day, I think, is what she was attempting to pull off here. And I guess in a most literal uh, sense of it, she did. But that does speak to trying to do a bit of shock and awe saying, serious candidate, look at this, filling rooms all over this province, rah, rah, rah. But that, um, again, I, this goes back to capacity. One of the things I was wondering as I watched it was, who who's the audience for this? Because the audience of the mm. minute and a half I watched off the top, and by the way, you're not... You know, don't judge me too harshly because most people will not even watch a minute and a half of it, right? But it did seem that that was targeted towards an introduction of herself to Albertans, right? A, a more general audience. Yeah. This is who I am. Uh, I've always been, you know, my first job was in Alberta, then my second job, then my third job, then my fourth job, then my fifth job. Quite a rundown of jobs with no specificity, by the way, may I say. Yeah. Um, but that uh, that seemed targeted towards a general population. It makes sense. You're trying to do a media event, right? But then every subsequent event seemed to be, and the wrap up of the day as a whole seemed to be saying, "Wow, that's really impressive. Look at look at what she's managed to do in these random corners of the uh, of the um, of the province." But then there was this comment about the um, the uh, I almost called it the Sky Mall, the Sky Palace, where. Um, uh, you know, Sonny took a round out of people for sitting in the in the Sky Palace, right? And that was to a party audience at one of these events with many banners on the stage here. And that also seemed, I mean, maybe it was targeted towards base, maybe it was the public, but I guess my point would be it was tough for me to sort of ascertain which. And I do wonder if they didn't have too many things going on for one day. I don't think that the other candidates have taken such an approach. One of the things, though, that I do also want to throw out there is in mm-hmm. this UCP leadership, to my knowledge, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe we've actually seen the big launch, right? Like the launch with a lot of people. Yeah, Maybe everybody is, rand- is sort of assessing they can't do it, but somebody's going to assess they can. And maybe that's Brian Jean. Maybe we're going to see that still. Maybe there's going to be 600 people in a room at some point. And that will be interesting uh, because if nobody does it, that tells me something too, something weird about the UCP race. Carter, run us mm-hmm. out on that. Do you suspect that that big launch will will appear? And do you sense it'll appear from a strategic point of view, or someone will just say, "We got to do this as a checkbox on the strategy Charlie, or the campaign checklist, sort of speak." I think that the person who wants to appear to like they're in front might do a, a big race. I mean, I think that we've talked about how you don't actually want to be in front in, on these uh, preferential ballots, um, but I, I'm sure that that won't dissuade uh, the geniuses that that are running uh, all the the leadership campaigns for the UCP. Um, they'll someone will want will will say someone's strategy team is going to say the only way you can win this is if you're in first place uh all the way and you win on the first ballot so let's show everybody exactly how strong you are brian or how strong you are and i guess that taves has already launched so we're not looking for him to do this but that that type of activity that type of action is still viable it's still something that could occur i'm just not entirely sure that um 
You know, it's going to happen. The speed with which all of this has to occur is ultimately the defining factor. How much time are you going to spend to do an, an, an elect, a launch event when the next day you have to get three media releases out or you have to plan your, the rest of your tour? I mean, this thing is going to, ha- I think everybody is counting on this thing happening so quickly that there's not going to be a lot of, you know, discussion about doing any one particular thing um, mm. to the to the fullness of, of the possibility. Uh, keeping in mind that there's just a lot of stuff to do. I mean, you know how much there is to do on a campaign, Zane. You know, do you want to do everything on that campaign in the first, like if this thing is over in two months, the campaign period, it's over in two months of selling memberships. And uh-huh. then it's only three weeks left to get, you know, to do the vote piece. Um, I mean, you have so much to do. And that's one of the reasons that I think that the Sony launch again was, was so interesting. You know, she clearly put a lot of effort into making sure that people remembered her on her first day. And I don't, although I don't think it hit, I don't blame her for trying that. I think that that was probably a pretty smart call. It just didn't work the way that Corey and I, um, uh, you know, would have preferred it to go. We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our next segment, our next segment, crypto, opting out of inflation by deflating in front of our eyes. Corey, <laughs> if the price goes down, you're technically not, you're, it's not inflating, Corey. It's working. Pierre Polyever's done it. He has done it. Promise made, promise kept, Corey Hogan. How bad is this for Pierre Polyever as, as crypto now takes another I shouldn't say nosedive, but takes another significant battering. Uh, this, of course, after a a, uh, a a significant dip earlier in the month. Uh, the reason we bring this up as it relates to the race, of course, Corey Hogan, because one, Pierre Polyevra said earlier uh, at a shawarma shop uh, where he purchased his shawarma in crypto, if I'm not mistaken, or Bitcoin more specifically, that uh, Bitcoin and by extension crypto was the way to opt out of inflation. Corey, give me your initial thoughts on this. I know this is something you've been tracking. I know this is something you passionately like to uh, bitch at us about in our, in our WhatsApp group. Give me your, give me your take <laughs> on, on, on what this is, and then let's get into the politics of it and the broader politics of the, of the conservative leadership race, because I want to touch on a few things there. Yeah, um, so uh, background that I think most Canadians will know at least a little bit about. When Pierre Polyev bought that shawarma, made those comments, Bitcoin was going for $59,000 Canadian. It today hit below 27000 for a bit. It's now above 28000 as of seconds ago, 9.32 p.m. Mountain time. I just took a bit of a scan on it. That's a pretty big drop. That's a more than 50% drop. And um, the suggestion that this is a way to opt out inflation was always a little nutty. I mean... If you invested in Bitcoin in 2013, you're still looking at annualized returns of like 100%. Still looks like a brilliant Mm -hmm, investment. mm -hmm. But man, it's been a ride along the way. And you've seen a lot of volatility. And if you purchased it, if you got on that roller coaster in the last two years, basically, you're not, you're behind. You've lost money at this point. And so that's, that's also a bit of a challenge here. The idea that it would somehow... When you think about the challenge of inflation being, oh, man, I can't buy as much today as I could yesterday, it was always insane to suggest people put money into a very volatile asset class in order to, quote unquote, opt out of inflation. But what Pierre Polyev might be facing uh, is looking down the road like he bought into the Dutch tulip craze, like there is a world where this currency goes (laughs) 
even further down. And, uh, you know, if let's just say Pierre for PM wins the leadership of his party and then finds himself in a situation where he's facing off against the liberal leader, uh, you know, Christian Freeland in 2024. Uh, I mean, this is going to get thrown back in his face a lot. Uh, and certainly if you try to opt out of inflation this way, you've lost a lot of money. Carter, you know, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I wanted to, I wanted to get your initial take on this, uh, but I also wanted to remind our listeners that you, for a long time, I'd say at least the last month, Carter, even prior to the second dip, uh, have indicated that um, Pierre Polyevre has made a huge mistake here, and that his competitors should find a person who's lost real fucking money. That they yeah. uh, on on the crypto crash. I want to remind that, and I want to almost get you to either revise that or re up that or give me a take on that uh, on on what you think uh, his competitors should do to take advantage of this. Because right now we're in the middle of another bloodbath. Most people don't understand crypto, which is perhaps the cloud cover that that Pierre has. They don't understand what it is. How? It, so what's the simple story here? Take this complicated currency, boil it down into a nugget. Uh, for me and and give me something on a silver platter that you can hand over to Jean Charest or Patrick Brown tomorrow. Uh, bake it a bit more from, from previous uh, uh, times we've discussed this, Carter. Well, I think that the number one thing, I mean, the easiest thing to do, you don't have to do any research. You don't have to do any additional work was you walk into that, uh, you walk into that very same shawarma shop and now you buy a shawarma using your good old Canadian cash and it costs $8 and 75 cents or if we're in Calgary, $12.75. And that is an, the same price that you would have paid a month ago. If you were paying with Bitcoin, you know, you now have to pay twice as much. You have to pay $20. You, it, is twice, yeah. it is twice as expensive because your Bitcoin dropped so substantially. Um, because all of this up and down and back and forth is difficult for people to track. But if you say to them, I am taking good old Canadian currency issued by the Bank of Canada. The Bank yep. of Canada, the you know the, the look at it's the signature the, of the president of the or the, the the head of the Bank of Canada is right on this thing the and same it's same person stable. That, that that Pierre wants to fire. The the Pierre wants to fire and it's stable currency. It's the same price for me today. I I would do Yours one better. Yours is twice as high. And and then you do one better. How do you do better oh, than that? You oh. do it. You show me. Show me. Oh, I'll tell you what I would do. I would walk in there and I would offer to pay for the shawarma the same price in Bitcoin that Pierre Polyev did. And when they said, no, absolutely not, it's twice as much in Bitcoin, that would be that would be what I do. Uh, because exactly. then, then you make can, it real. Then you can illustrate, holy shit, when you think about what we buy in terms of Bitcoin, inflation has been over 100 percent in just a couple of months here. So maybe we shouldn't be listening to this guy when it comes to, uh, you know, priced financial advice, let alone running the Bank of Canada, which is something he aspires to do, apparently, by replacing the governor. Boy, is there more meat on the bone here than just making that that illustration? Like, you've started to expand it around trust, that this guy's bullshit. Like, where, where else can this go? Where else can this go uh, from here? Because this seems to be... Because Pierre Polyev seems to be hitting the mark on many other things. Yeah. His membership sales, we'll get into that, right? Uh, his airport video most recently... 
Um, many people acknowledging that it was a solid video that he made. Oh, it was at least some popular Mercer, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So like you know, and for those who hadn't seen it, he was in an air Pearson Airport, clogged up, puts has a mask on, talks about what the Trudeau government's failings are, walks side side, rips off the mask, delivers a direct to camera. Looks like unscripted, but like good work, like top tier political sort of like oratory in that sense. Um, so he's hitting a, a bunch of other strides. Is this kind of like? the opening that you have Corey, or is this not enough of an opening I mean, the crypto it, issue around trust is this is this a legitimate opening or and how much time are you spending on it as a campaign to kind of drive a story and start a narrative thread here is my question from a strategic element from a charade or brown campaign you know i don't know we've said this in other contexts but when you have these one-off issues you've got to keep in mind that it's a pretty rare circumstance where the one-off issue becomes the issue. And usually you're using it as a proof point in a larger charge against him. And this would be one against his judgment. So I, you know, that makes an awful lot of sense and it's something you can pull back and it's so obvious and it's not most of the time in politics, you're arguing in terms of opinion, right? Well, that's just your opinion. That went better than it could have. We don't know. There's not another universe there. This is one of those rare opportunities where you can say, if I didn't take your advice, I would have this much money. If I did take mm-hmm. your advice, I would have this much money. And that's obviously much more concrete than the gods often afford you in this game of politics, right? So there's a lot of value there. But how many people have actually uh, are going to change their mind in the Conservative Party membership about this? I suspect relatively few. Um, what, between 5 and 10% of Canadians own cryptocurrencies? Let's say 5% own Bitcoin right? Which would be too high, but let's just say that's the case. 5% own Bitcoin. Uh, Let's say it's double the number in the conservative party, because we do know that one of their candidates has been pushing it. Well, that's still 10% of the members. Some of them will not change their minds. In fact, there's a ton of research that shows you make a dollar investment in something, even if it goes really badly, you tend to double Mm -hmm. down, right? Like you don't want to look foolish. You don't want to die that social death. So you say, oh no, it's coming back. It's still an inflation edge, right? Look at it over the long term. Look at it since 2015. Look at it just from 2017. You'd still be up. Never mind you bought yeah. in March in this scenario, right? But it, you know, there's narratives you can tell, lies you can tell yourself, and, and most people will do that. So let's say you change the mind of one in 10 or two in 10 in there. Is that enough to win it? I don't know. That really depends on how close all of these things are and campaigns are going to have to decide. But because at the end of the day, you're maybe talking about 2% of that membership, I sure wouldn't make your whole thing about his judgment Mm. on Bitcoin. Can you make it about his judgment? Yeah, that's a little different. But you're going to need more proof points than just Bitcoin on that. Carter, let me ask you a slightly different question then. And and tell me if I'm right or wrong with this statement. Justin Trudeau and the liberals should start attacking Pierre Polyev now. That, that, that That he's leaving a lot of arguments available that his opponents might feel like they're not to Corey's point fruitful enough for the membership but that we need to shine a light to them now so the the statement is justin trudeau and the liberals attack him now right or wrong carter i think it's wrong and the reason mm. i think it's wrong is that you still don't know everything right you've got your own battles that you're fighting if you're justin trudeau and you know fighting fighting pierre polyev there's two outcomes you fighting Pierre Polyev may ensure that he becomes the leader. And that may be good or that might be bad for you. But you fighting Pierre Polyev also might ensure that he does not become the leader. And I think it is worse for you, you know, 
you don't want to try and put your foot into this. Let the gods decide who's going to be the the leader of the conservative party. And then once that person becomes the conservative party leader, that's when you start doing your job and tearing them down and making them who they are. Because you're you're not going to you don't want to be seen to be influencing the relate the race um, because you don't know what the you, the impact of your input's going to be. Uh, so leave them alone. Get ready. Put your op team on everything. Um, mm. They they can find the the crypto bros and the the folks that have lost their shirts on crypto um, and go that direction. You don't need you don't need to take them down now. I just don't like inserting myself in a story that I don't belong into. Corey, I'm going to I'm going to keep trying to sell it on you and get your take. Right. So Justin Trudeau, minority government. Yes, he's got a deal. You know, this this may not apply to the membership, but we need to remind Canadians of it while they're living it, while they're seeing an issue like this, um, that suggesting that we as the liberals and me as a prime minister and our attack ads uh, could actually tilt the outcome is overstating what we have a, a potential to do. Sure, it might be a media story. But we're going after the guy who's clearly got the memberships to win this thing on the first ballot. Corey, same question to you. Justin Trudeau and the Liberals should start attacking Pierre Polyev now. Agree or disagree? Uh, I I mean, I disagree. I think there's better ways to spend your time in this uh, ambiguous space. Um, maybe it's over. Maybe it's done. Maybe it's not. I would say the way Pierre Polyev is going after, for example, Patrick Brown makes me think that uh-huh. he doesn't think he's at a hundred percent likelihood of winning. Yeah. Now maybe he's being extra cautious and he thinks he's at 95%, 90%. I don't know. I will have a better sense of that when some of these numbers come out here, but um, you know, very few things right now, not just about who's going to win the CPC leadership, but this election is not happening tomorrow. Maybe you can concoct a scenario where it happens in the fall if somehow the liberals mm-hmm. lose the NDP support. But you've got to keep in mind <laughs> that the liberals would almost have to try to lose at this point, right? Because there's ways they can narrow their ambitions, do things directly to the letter of the deal, make it very hard for the NDP to bring them down uh, if they were if the liberals felt they were really challenged in the polls. And if you think this election's not going to come until the say, let's say it's not coming until 24 or 25, right? Let's just say that's the case that we're going to be looking at here. You don't know. Uh, I don't think there's ever actually been a three-year period in Bitcoin's existence, for example, where Mm -hmm. it is worth less at the end of that three years than the start of that three years. There's been ups and downs, yes, but the broad overall trajectory is up. And so your argument about uh, him saying you should invest in Bitcoin and you saying that was a very stupid thing could then end up thrown back in your face if Bitcoin's all of a sudden at $120,000 of Bitcoin, right? How about more generally, Corey? How about attacking him more generally on, on other issues that he's brought up on on his firing of the governor of Bank of Canada, any of those things? Yeah, let's let's so move it beyond the crypto. Again, I mean, I, I use it as an illustration, but the overall point remains. For all you know, the governor of the Bank of Canada is going to be found in a very compromising position tomorrow. Uh, you know, there is, which is not to say that you hold your fire until the very last minute, but given the ambiguity of the race, given the the overall context that they find themselves in, there are better ways to spend your time. There are ways you can shore up and, and almost yeah. get the ground ready for these attacks without making these attacks. And then you go absolute shock and awe when you think it's in your interest. That's when, maybe here's the way I'll put it. I know Carter wants yeah. to get in here. You didn't see Stephen Harper start beating the hell out of Ignatieff and or or Dion. Ignatieff was the front runner in the 2006 race. 
but they waited, right? They waited until there was uh, somebody because that's when Canadians will be paying the most attention. And that's when your attempts to define will mean the most. Carter, you're the head of the Liberal Party. The PM books a conference call tomorrow saying, fuck this. I've held on for too long. I'm in. I have COVID now. I'm sitting at home. I'm looking at this idiot Pierre Polyever. He's going to win it. I want to go after him now. Carter, as the head of the Liberal Party, you can't just say no. You have to say no, but we can do this instead. Here's what I suggest instead. What is your persuasive strategy? What is your persuasive set of tactics to say we're not going to do that? Mr. Prime Minister, we're not going to do that, Katie Telford. We're not going to do that, but here's what we are going to do. What would your message to them be on a conference call tomorrow, Carter? There are two mistakes that we make in politics. One is to mis- uh, misassess the risks that we're about to undertake. And the second is to, mis- to misunderstand the timing for the actions that we should be taking. Uh, a lot of people try and win an election at the end when they should have tried to win the election in June, right? Or, you know, the action or the timing needs to be laid out so that it actually makes sense within the, nar- you know, within the narrative arc. And then you need to understand what the risks are. And my case, and I think the case that, that Corey is building, is that there is a risk now. There will be less of a risk later, right? And when you, when you kind of progress through this, um, when Pierre Polyev wins, and you now know that you are facing him, and you now know that the Bank of Canada governor has miraculously survived the scandal that <laughs> that um, that Corey cast him in seconds ago. Um, when you start to see those things come to be, then you know that you've got much more solid ground to stand on. But you, when there's so many unknowns, like what's going to happen with Bitcoin in the next two years, three years, um, we don't know. Well, should we define our opposition on that then at this particular moment in time? Well, the answer has to be no. So if you want to define him, if you wanted to, to get ready to define, you know, it's about preparation. Because the other thing that the other problem with this is that it won't be sustained. You brought this up earlier, Zane, when I was kind of going after my little attack line. How do you sustain that? What happens next? What's the next piece? Right. So I can do a really nice attack on him in the in the in, in the Daenerys shop. But what happens the next day? Right. In a perfect world, you should do an attack on him in the Daenerys shop. You should find the uh, the person who lost, you know, six, you know, 60 dollars investing in uh, in in crypto, um, 60 dollars of the hard earned money of the strategist podcast. Um, and, you know, that that person goes on 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 the air and says, this is money I couldn't afford to lose. I did it because Pierre told me it was going to, it was going to protect me and my family. And now I feel so, you know, abandoned. I feel like I'm alone. And then the other, and then the next day I'm going to talk about how much money Pierre Polyev has lost himself. Right. Because we know that he, in his, you know, in his, uh, whatever they're called disclosures has indicated that he had a, a fairly substantial holding in, uh, in Bitcoin. So, you know, or in in crypto, I don't know specifically which which one of the crypto. Well, I think it's Bitcoin, but, but we don't know the amount, right? Because they're not required yeah, the amount. But we we could we could start to play out a longer game. This guy, you know, he's losing his own money. He's losing your money. He's losing them. You know, he's making it harder for the for the Denaire shop. So what we need what we need is is grown up, mature leadership that can sustain itself. This is just not the time to be running off and and uh, starting to attack just so you can attack. 
quite, you know, um, the, 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 T, the team at the PMO hears what Carter has to say. And then they say, you know, one thing, Corey, since you're on the call, too, that we found interesting is Carter talked about timing. He said, you know, some people wait too long. Other people go too early. What we see right now is a case to hobble him right away. Why not? You know, he's fighting a different fight. We can go unopposed, hobble him right away, um, make him not viable from the get. It, it pays dividends two years down the road, six months down the road, whenever we have an election, Corey. Why the hell not? I hear what Carter's saying. Why not hobble him now? Yeah, uh, you know, and there's, it's a 60-40 business. Maybe that is the right move if everything breaks your way. Um, but one of the things you're always trying to do is is maintain a range of options, particularly when you're so far out from when you perceive the election to be. And look, sometimes you got to strike. You can't just dance your army around in the field. And I apologize for all the war metaphors, but literally campaign. I mean, this is why we uh-huh. this is where it comes from, yeah. right? Uh, when it comes to that strike, if if the prime minister was hell bent on doing it, I would probably steal some advice from uh, Ali Elwell here on our on our YouTube chat for this very uh, episode. As we're talking here, you don't have to put your whole army into it. So maybe throw some people into it who are not necessarily seen as speaking for the leader or that you can have a bit of deniability if they move forward. So, you know, put a backbench MP or two on it was the suggestion that that seems like it's better than going full in with the apparatus of the liberal party that the liberal president, Stephen Carter, apparently would be throwing in. Um, There's logic there because you can deny it down the road or you can say, well, he's speaking for himself or herself rather than suggesting that it was the position of the party. Um, but to go in as the party, to go in as the prime minister on these things at this time is is dangerous. And uh, it, it's all about risk benefit. And you might you might gamble and win. Doesn't mean it was the smart strategic choice. Carter, uh, let's talk about the conservative party membership. So we've we've last time we discussed this, we took the numbers as they were. I asked you guys whether there was any incentive in lying about it. Corey said, no, these numbers are going to come out in a couple of days. Carter said, fuck yeah, I would lie about it. Well, turns out (laughs) accusations about lying are literally what have fueled the conservative leadership race for the last, what, seven days, 10 days, each campaign pointing their fingers at at the other. Jenny Byrne saying Patrick uh, Brown is a liar seven times on television in a five minute interview. Also releasing a video uh, a senior advisor to Pierre Polyev for clarity. Uh, Jenny Byrne is releasing a video about uh, Patrick Brown will say anything. How did he buy this multi-million dollar house? Some suggesting that's Pierre being Pierre, their campaign scorched earth. Others suggesting, oh, is this campaign actually behind? It is now a little bit panicked about the situation. Uh, so we're seeing a very, very interesting dynamic play up, Carter, regarding the memberships. Also, strategists from each of the campaigns saying we're going to challenge other parties' memberships on eligibility. What do you make of the current state of affairs, Carter? And what do you make of this? This Let's start with the membership challenges, uh, that eligibility is going to be challenged on thousands and thousands of rival party members. Uh, is this a common process within the leaderships of campaigns that you've run? And do you feel like it will be on overdrive here as we have all this haze about what's real and what's not so real in this leadership race? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot at stake. And when there's a lot at stake, people um, break the rules and uh, other people will will kind of, you know, try and find a different way to achieve their ends. And so, yeah, I mean, the the objective or the the 
the exercise of challenging people's memberships is entirely predictable because mm-hmm. if you have a way of taking a significant number of memberships out of play, then it's the same as getting votes for yourself, right? You're now in a much stronger position than you would have been if you just allowed it to all unfold naturally. So you, you, you And there's very little cost to doing it. It's happening literally behind a closed door. So you go out and you say, well, this, this member is not a real member. Well, who the hell even knows? No one even knows there's no cost to you as a campaign. So you're better off to, to challenge those as much as, you, as possible. Now, the, ca- the party has a role in this as well because the party doesn't want to disallow every every cam, every candidate or every every membership so they're going to fight for the members that they see are real um, a lot of campaigns or a lot of parties will make sure that the the unreal or the not real candidates or memberships that are sold uh, are pulled from circulation um, but it's it's still it's still tricky to make sure that everything gets out that needs to be out so my my experience with this is that a sizable number will be pulled, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be, you know, if if the numbers and projections are correct, and I and Corey and I will debate that all day long. Let's just go with six hundred thousand just for now. It certainly isn't going to be six thousand memberships or or sixty thousand memberships that are pulled. It will be a few thousand here or there, and it might be enough to make the difference. But all I see, you brought this up in your in your in your preamble. All I see when I'm listening and watching this is Pierre Polyev's team panicking uh, because they know they don't have everything that they need in order to be the strong candidates that they want to be seen as. Corey, I need you to interpret that question, too. Is it panic in your mind from Team Pierre Polyev or is it the same scorched earth? We we just hate you and we don't give a flying fuck. We're going to go negative at every turn, as they did on day one of their campaign to to, Pierre, uh, to 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 Patrick Brown, what what do you think it is, and what is your interpretation? Uh, because there is conventional wisdom about when to go negative, and so where, does this kind of break a rule? Does this form with convention with you? What are you thinking? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, this is very much in his nature. On the very first day of the campaign, they came out, they went for the jugular, they they went totally ham on these people. Yeah. As they entered the race on on Sheree, on Brown, whoever was there, they yeah. were they were willing to stick a knife in them. So it's not as though it breaks type. Um, but if this is just them being them, I think they've they've so clearly identified what their Achilles heel will be because this is crazy behavior. This is self-destructive behavior. If you are going to be leader of this party and you're confident of that, because let's be clear, you are, if you're the Polyev campaign, you have said a couple of things here. You have said the membership was with you at the start. You have sold the most memberships by far yeah. and that you're going to win this thing. And if you believe all three of those things to be true, <laughs> right, then it is in your interest now to act as leader and not as candidate. And if you are acting as leader, what you want to do is make sure the party hangs together. And if you start a really acrimonious fight with Patrick Brown and Jean Charest, and you drive out all of the moderates in the conservative party, that weakens you. I mean, you might not be philosophically where they are ideologically might not be your cup of tea to have to hang out with the Jean Charest of the world. You will never make government. If you, if you are so right wing that conservatives do not feel like they can join your party. Right. So it's in your interest to keep the party together. If you believe your leader. So something here is, is not meshing for me, right? Either it is not nearly as much of a runaway as the Polyev campaign says, or they are so fundamentally flawed as people 
you know, I'm not going to say mm. organizers that, that they just can't help themselves. And they're, you know, to call somebody a liar seven times in five minutes when the 150,000 members is a lot of fucking members and you want to burn all of these people. I mean, it's crazy to me. So well, that, that is, that is what I find interesting here is, is the strategy Carter is like the, the conventional strategy versus what the peer campaign is doing here, right? The conventional strategy would say you almost want to preemptively build goodwill because this guy clearly is a mover. You may want him in the circle. He can clearly sell in the GTA. He yeah. sold fuck these fucking somewhere. So you you know this campaign, whatever it happens federally, the election is one in three regions. This guy seems to be a fucking magician in at least one of them, perhaps, or at least just a right. few of these communities. And then what they're doing is just saying, go fuck yourself to the point where Patrick Brown says, if Pierre Polyev is the leader, I'm not running for him and I may go back to municipal politics. So, Carter, like, tell me what do you think's going on here from a strategy perspective? Do you feel like it's just a byproduct of raw panic or do you feel like this is strategic alienation uh, to purge for purity, uh, which is the the sub goal or one a goal of the Pierre Polyev campaign? I think that you're you're trying to um, make something that's not strategic strategic. I think that this is just who Jenny Byrne is. You're not going to give him just... any credit that there's no there's no strategic end here. What even, credit even... are we going to give to these people? I these people these people. Well, no. Are, let me let me let me let me make an argument. Political operative. Let, let Jenny me make an Byrne, argument. I mean, let me make an person argument. who goes no, 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 after no. the wrong type oh, of politics. Oh, oh, no, I'm not doing this. They, they, she's not good. Pierre Polyev is a fucking asshole. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a half truth at best. And now we're surprised that they're standing up there and saying, "You're a liar." No, you're a liar. No, you're a liar. No, you're a liar. You're a liar. This is fucking bullshit politics done by bullshit people. And if they win, it is the end of the conservative party as we know it. Okay. Here's the okay. point. I mean, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Corey, you wanted to jump in here. I, 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 mean, I was going to retort to Carter, but go ahead. I mean, the ret- I mean, look, am I comfortable with where the conservative party is going? No. But they have sold a lot of memberships. They're obviously capturing uh, something there. And if I want to be charitable, let's apply the principle of charity here and say, let's just say all of these things are true that I was just incredulous about. Let's just say they do yeah, believe they're yeah, going to win. Yeah. Maybe they believe their strength is in that that purity of conviction. And that, <sighs> I, look, I don't, I don't like it. And I'm not saying it's a good strategy, but I'm just, I'm trying to figure out why in the world it's, they would be doing this. And, and that's the it's only not, thing I they're, come they're, up with. There is no, there is no explanation that that is logical or strategic. Let me let me try. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. No, 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 Carter. Can I throw one at you? No, let me finish my other thing. Then you throw (laughs) one at me. Okay. Here's the other thing. They have the only reason to go after Patrick Brown is they've determined that he's actually in second place, right? Because if he's in third place and you go after Patrick Brown, then you are ultimately committing an act of lunacy. Because his voters will fall off and they will remember this. They will never, ever, ever transfer their vote to Pierre Polyev because they went after him. So if they miscalculated even by one vote, keeping in mind that, you know, Jim Prentice beat Scott Prison by two votes in 2004 and was able to continue up the ladder. You know, like this is how these things fall apart. When you only when you go after these people and you're wrong. You're the stupidest fucker on the planet. And this is where I'm looking at this as someone who's done these campaigns before and saying, man, there is like literally no logical reason to behave like this. Ergo, they must be illogical. Corey, how about I put this to you and see, can I, can I test this out for size sure. with you? I mean, Carter makes a compelling case. Let me just say right off the bat. 
that that this is that that this is just pure emotion and no logic in it. That well, this is just what they do. This I, is who they are. Again, if I want to stretch for something, maybe they think they can bump him into second, and maybe they think the Brown votes will fall off. At, or, mm. or sorry, the Sheree votes will fall off and there will not be enough to, you know, maybe Brown votes will go to Sheree, but Sheree votes won't go to Brown, I guess is what I'm saying. Maybe they've made that calculation. Maybe they think it's close. That seems unlikely given nobody has the final membership yeah. list yet. Yeah. So I'll try this out for size, Corey. Uh, maybe Pierre Polyevra and team are alienating Patrick Brown, tell him to go fuck himself uh, at this stage in the leadership because they found another path to victory. They don't need the conventional um you know moderate in the gta and the lower mainland i'm gonna put this out for size abacus data had some interesting perspectives this past week on on the path and and it wasn't specifically about pierce path but the amount of canadians who believe fringe views around bill gates and microchips that are being used to track uh around all these other questions and conspiracy theories that plus some of the populism let me say this, conspiracy plus populism could be a coalition. Is there any is there any merit to what you're thinking? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to actually gen these are not stupid people. This is where I disagree with Carter. Like if they were stupid people, they wouldn't be able to sell people. They they're wouldn't not, be able to sell 300,000 memberships is what I'm saying. But let's not discard what they're trying to do. I'm actually trying to discern what they're trying to do. And one thing I want to talk about is a do they do we feel like there's another path for them because one of the the ongoing media conversations and pundit conversations we're seeing is that how the hell will they pivot? How the hell after they win this leadership or Peel Polyev moderate himself, Carter? And I see no reason that this guy will, because I perhaps think that he's maybe thinking there's another yeah. path. So Corey, maybe react to this here. Well, look, I think you're taking the right approach. It's, it's a mistake to assume that your uh, opponents are just acting in a foolish fashion because the worst case scenario, if you sort of talk it through and you, you come up with something and you're like, well, that doesn't seem very compelling. You've maybe wasted a few minutes, but the best case scenario is you've avoided being led down a dark alley and bludgeoned to death uh, because you don't see the strategy coming. You think about the Democrats in 2016, you think about how the Rust Belt, they didn't see coming, right? Uh, just as a as a very ready example here. Uh, and so it's worth yeah. saying, does Polyev know something we don't? Is he acting in a fashion because he believes he can make up the losses he will get from, you know, moderate, uh, you know, we'd almost call them Rockefeller Republicans in the United States, but the, you know, the uh-huh, moderate uh-huh. conservatives, does he think he can make that up by yanking people out of the liberal coalition and the new Democrat coalition who just feel that, uh, you know, there is something to his gatekeeper commentary and that there is a a broader conspiracy, although I don't think Polyev would use these words to sort of keep you yeah. down, like the, the, you know, the the deck is stacked against you. There's a lot of people who think the deck's stacked against them. News fucking flash. It kind of is, right? You, you're born rich. You're probably going to die rich. You're born poor. You're probably going to die poor. Um, and so that is a weakness, a hollowness in the system that somebody, a, you know, a, a, a demagogue could could take advantage of. And I think Pierre Polyev has shown he's got a ability to speak to a lot of different groups. We've talked about this in the terms of his ability to code shift. I, I think that's all true, Zane. But I do think that when you're in a parliamentary system like we are, there is a fundamental reality that you need to field candidates and win uh, in a broadly mm-hmm. distributed mm-hmm. sense. And I, I have a hard time. Like, it's not like America where you win a whole province, right? You get X percent, you get all the electoral votes. And so it becomes a little trickier 
if you've got this massive base of support in rural Ontario and Alberta and Saskatchewan to, to win, you know, the math just doesn't work at a certain point. 25% of the seats are in Quebec for crying out loud. Ontario or Toronto is, you know, approaching greater Toronto is approaching 6 million people. I, I mean, this is only a country of 38 million people. You can't write these areas off and you can't blow up your party to such an extent that, even if you think you could be competitive there, all of a sudden you're running against a rump party that's getting 20% of the vote. Our system will crush you if that happens. We've seen what happens to conservatives when that happens. So I, I find it a little hard to believe it's the strategy, but it's definitely something worth watching and uh, keeping an eye on. Carter, are you, this theory are, in conservative the circles? Yeah, there's there's this theory in conservative circles that a lot of conservatives don't vote for conservatives because we're not conservative enough. Right. Because we haven't gotten to the extremes enough. Right. And and I can see that argument kind of holding true when you're starting to look at you know, what's happening in the United States. Right. Look at how conservative every, everything is in the United States. And uh, conservatives have, been, have never, you know, well, I shouldn't say never been as popular, but they certainly are, are nearing the height of their own popularity. They, you know, the, 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 and they've and they got control of things. Look at how good the conservative movement is in the United States right now. They've got control. They are they are in charge. Even when there's a Democratic president, they are still calling the shots. That is that's the, the height of conservatism. Um, so, you know, if we could just show the, how conservative we are and maybe Pierre Polyev fits into that category, but that's not Canada. That's not how it works here. Corey's made very good points about math at the end of the day. It is winning the, the, the number of seats that gives you a majority or minority government. The, the conservative movement has gotten the most votes, uh, in the last two elections and they have lost. Um, they do not have their votes in the right places to actually make this work. If they want to get the votes in the right places, then they're going to need to shift the way that they're thinking. And Pierre Polyev is shifting the way that he's thinking in exactly the wrong direction. Carter, let me ask you one final wrap-up question on this segment. Do you feel like there's going to be, once this, let's, let's say he wins, let's, let's, you know, make that make that case because I want to go a little bit further down. What does the moderating effect look like if if it is all purity here, right? Like you think they're just going to crash into a wall and not win and not look at the math? Like they're going to look at the math at some point and and figure out how to stitch their coalition together or make that attempt. So when? from your perspective, okay. So the question I that's my question to you: When do you think? When do you think they do that? And what does it look like? You start stitching your coalition together the moment that you think you're going to win. This is the this is the work this is the work that that Allison Redford did the day the day that we won. We start calling everybody right. We never attacked Gary Mars people, you know, because we didn't want his people to run away from us. We attacked some of his ideas. We went after him a little bit on private health care. We didn't attack his people. We didn't go after. We didn't we didn't call him you know uh, a lying liar. You know, like we didn't. We didn't do that because to do that would have caused an inability for us to start to, to stitch the party back together. Now, ultimately, we were unsuccessful in stitching the party back together because you know why? Leaderships are divisive. You don't want it to be any more divisive. The, play, the time to stitch the party back together is now, right? If you, especially if you think you're going to win. If you think you're not going to win, then, you know, saddle up to Leslyn Lewis. Get her voters to come to you. Be nice. Don't be throwing fucking grenades at this stage. This, this is just the wrong time to be throwing grenades into the audience. 
I'm going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our final segment. Corey, our over-under in our lightning round. Corey, overrated or underrated? I want to start with you. We usually start with Stephen Carter, but I gave him the last word. I need to start with you, Corey. (laughs) Overrated or underrated? The January 6th Select Committee choosing to hire the former news producer and news director of ABC News to put together kind of theatrical never-before-seen footage, boring footage from the documentarian who was traveling with the Proud Boys, kind of putting together these, can I call them set pieces? These digitally consumable, but like shock and awe-style set pieces, mini documentaries from a political theater and making the case and getting people to care about this standpoint. Overrated or underrated in your mind what you've seen thus far? And I know we've only done, I think, one or two of the of the six that we're going to see thus far. But you're quite, you're, uh, your thoughts on that? Um, well, unfortunately, I think it's overrated. I think it's overrated mm. because um, you watch ABC News if, uh, if you feel one way and you watch Fox News if you feel another way. And I don't. I don't mean literally ABC News here, Zane, but I mean yeah, yeah, uh, the, the mainstream had, coalition or whatever yeah, they call you it. Had yeah, during the um, you had during the primetime January sixth opening act here, Fox News run without commercials. This is a commercial enterprise that ran without commercials, so there was no reason to ever change the channel and risk seeing January sixth carried on one of these other networks, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And Tucker Carlson just sort of went off. He went off on all sorts of things, but he didn't mention a lot of very salient facts. Didn't mention Bill Barr's uh, views of the world. Didn't mention Ivanka Trump Trump's saying views uh, that he, uh, it was clear that she agreed with the with Bill election. Barr. Yeah, yeah, not those words, but uh, you know, in some ways, I think the very act of hiring somebody who's designed to kind of titillate or make the news more compelling will turn off that set or will just become another proof point thrown mm. back at them, which is not to say that it was like a bad idea even. And maybe on the margins, it can do some good. Maybe I've just become too cynical here, but I'll tell you, Zane, for most of my life, I never thought of the U.S. border as like anything more than a line that added 30 minutes to a trip. It, it hardly seemed mm. like a separate country. Canadians make such a big show of, oh, we're Canadians. We're not Americans. Mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. we add the letter U to neighbor. We're so fucking different. But thanks to mass culture, let's be real. And the U.S. has always seemed less foreign to me than parts of our own nation, right? Mm-hmm, I definitely mm-hmm. feel more like I've stepped into a different world when I go to Quebec, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, right? And I spent the first nine years of my life in Nova Scotia. These these feel like different places. Um, Americans are our friends. They're our family. And that's not a metaphor. My mother is literally a South Carolinan here. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so wild to me to see these last couple of decades and in particular this last decade and how they've fallen off the rails and i'm hopeful people will turn it around i'm hopeful something will make this fever break but i don't know even that's a lie like i'm not hopeful i'm not hopeful like this is just this is nuts what's happening down there and i I just don't know that anything that even approaches business as usual is going to change this up so i don't know what to say i don't want to get to an uns but I need to follow up with Corey on this. Why are you not hopeful? Well, that that it does change. Like, uh, you, you kind of stopped yourself there. Tell me why. a year ago tried to have a coup, and Joe Biden is, is like, got a higher disapproval rating than him because the economy's bad. Like, what actually fucking matters to these people? I have seen sincere tweets of people saying, why do you care about this Ivanka Trump thing? The stock market's down. What the fuck do you care about, America? 
Like this is this is so frustrating to watch. And these high-minded ideals, you know, the the pursuit of a more perfect union. For most of my life, I thought, yeah, there's dark spots in America, but the, you know, generally they are bending towards justice here. I don't feel that anymore. Does anybody think America's on a good path right now? Carter, we, nope. we, should, we should we should bring back you the people. That's what this is reminding me of. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but Carter, Carter, I'm is... gonna ask, can I ask, can I ask you the same question and, and use that as your jumping off point? Overrated or underrated? The theatrical production that the January 6th Select Committee is is putting together for these uh, for these hearings. I think it's underrated. I think that finally we're seeing the Democrats actually start to fight back against the propaganda network. Why did Fox News have to go without commercials? Uh, Because for the first time, they knew that they were actually under threat by the communications from the other side. Because for so long, the the, the liberal and the Democrats uh, had decided that they were going to cede the ground. They weren't going to engage in the propaganda. They weren't going to use the the sensational language. You know what? Good job. It almost resulted in a coup, a coup d'etat by the president of the United States, who is now running again and is putting himself in place. He's actively in the open soliciting people who will, who will not uh, ratify elections of his opponent. Right. They have already determined the outcome of the election before two years. It's still two years till the election actually happens. And they've already decided that it's going to be stolen from Donald Trump. They're running to protect him. They're running to to bring it all in. This is a significant problem. And at least this time, the the, the Democrats said, you know what? We're going to have to start playing it by a different game, by a different set of rules. And they brought in someone who can communicate. Now, is it going to work? I don't know. But it has a better chance of working when you're using the proper tools than it does when you're trying to uh, fight this particular war with both hands tied behind your back and a gag in your mouth, um, which apparently is, you know, how the Democrats like to roll. I don't know. I don't know anything about these p- pizza you, gate you stuff. Going somewhere it was good and then it got bad. And then it fell off. I don't know. But Corey and I were, I mean, we've told the story before. Corey and I were in Washington, D.C., walking up and down the mall, and we were having a conversation about the future of democracy. And we saw democracy. I saw democracy going this way. Corey, in his youthful enthusiasm, thought that the democracy was going to end in a, in a different fashion. We have warned from, from the Youth of People podcast and from this podcast that the United States is on a path towards civil war. Um, if at least the Democrats have the ability to start to sh- to put a, a mirror in front of people and show them how they've been tricked and how they've been fooled, maybe, maybe we can avoid that civil war. But as we continue right now, the probability that the election is going to be seen to be stolen by 50 percent of the population in the United States is extremely high. And I don't care which side of the 50 percent you're on. It's going to look stolen to you. And what happens when you do not believe in democracy anymore? You know, and you happen to be the most heavily armed nation uh, in the history of mankind. Not good things. So I'm pleased that they started to communicate this way. I don't have a lot of hope, but uh, my hope was buoyed. Carter, I'm going to stick with you for our next question. Overrated or underrated the political hit the Trudeau government's taken because of the Pearson clog, the the lineups at the airport? Do you feel like this is all temporary, uh, you know, or, and overrated? Or do you feel like they've actually taken a real political hit here that could be sustained and make a real dent to their political fortunes or brand? Overrated or underrated, Stephen Carter? I mean, it's under it's overrated. There's a very small group of people who are actually traveling at this stage anyways. Those people will uh, I mean, you're, you you remember some of the bad trips like but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're traveling now, you're probably someone who travels quite a bit. And uh, 
you know, you, you, the, the flights start to blend together. And in three months, four months, six months, uh, the long lineups will be a thing of the past. Boy, overrated or underrated the political hit the liberals take on the Pearson clog, the lack of agents, the long wait times that people have had to to pay. Of course, they're they're setting to announce the vaccine mandates. I'll talk about that in a second. But the political hit, overrated or underrated in your mind, Corey? Uh, I, I think overrated for the reasons that Stephen said. Also, if if you're flying right now, if you fly a lot, you probably don't think very fondly of Pearson to begin with. What a fucking mm-hmm. dreadful airport that has been for my entire adult life. You know, every now and then they'll do a big reno and say, it's going to be better. It's never better. Uh, there's just something fundamentally broken. I do think that the government needs to, not just the federal government, but the provincial government and the municipal governments need to hold to account the GTAA and say, let's get back to basics here, people. What the hell is going on? Uh, and if there are investments clearly articulated that are not just, you know, some sort of like vague, you need to support airports, but we need X million dollars mm-hmm. for this, Y million dollars for that. The government should hear them out. It's important to have a big airport in your biggest city that can function. But um, let's let's start with the airport itself, because it is not lost on me that this isn't happening in Calgary. This isn't happening in yeah. Vancouver. This is not mm-hmm. happening in Montreal. This is happening in Toronto. This is a Pearson problem, first and foremost. So let's start there. Corey, I'm going to stick with you with, for our next one. Are you in or out? The federal government is set to announce Tuesday, i.e. tomorrow, we're recording here on Monday evening, that they're going to end the COVID-19 vaccine mandates for domestic travels on planes and trains, as well as outbound international travel, in or out, from your perspective. And of course, with that political hat and that strategist hat on, what do you think? Well, I think I'm in because there wasn't really much choice. And if not now, when would probably be the question that the government is grappling with. Um, We're going into the summer. Respiratory diseases are generally uh, more in check during summer months. Um, And it it seems like it would be harder to make this decision in the fall uh, as respiratory diseases kick up. And it feels like it would be impossible to not make this decision for another six months a year. Uh, just based on public attitudes and appetites out there. And and when you throw in the fact that the United States has taken this approach as well, I don't really know that there was any latitude. Uh, Obviously, it's not something that's backed up, per se, by all of the public health data out there. I mean, people are still dying of COVID-19 at a pretty serious clip here, people. But, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, you've got to have, we live in a democracy, and you've got to have political will. And I don't think there was political will to maintain uh, you know, these requirements any further. Carter, the vaccine mandate uh, is ending tomorrow, according to the CBC News report. Are you in or out on this uh, political move by the liberals? Um, I did. You know, I've been traveling quite a bit and uh, wearing my mask and proving my that I'm vaccinated. And it, it does bring you a bit of confidence knowing that the people that you're sitting beside um, are vaccinated. And uh, but, the ma- you know, at the end of the day, Corey's right. This is not something that's going to be sustainable for the long term um, unless we decided that we were going to change some of the ways that we think about our society. And I'm not sure that we are prepared to go to the place where, you know, you you must be vaccinated if you're going to have all of the benefits and all of the um, the opportunities of our society. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right decision, but I just don't think that that's the decision that we're going to be able to make because, you know, that that's not the society in which we live. 
Corey, final, uh, Carter, I'm going to actually start with you on this final question. A scale of one to 10, how much trouble do you think Minister Marco Mendicino is in? Uh, Much speculation now that he may have misled Parliament on the implementation of the Federal Emergencies Act, uh, suggesting that it was requested by the police, that not necessarily being confirmed. Uh, This inconsistency on a scale of one to 10, how much trouble do you think uh, Minister Marco Mendicino is in, Stephen Carter? He's in nine degree. He's in nine level of trouble if the prime minister's office wasn't involved. He's a two level of trouble if the prime minister's office was involved. Corey, what do you think of that? How much trouble do you think Mendicino is in? I think he's in an eleven if the prime minister's office wasn't involved. But I think it's an eight even if the prime minister's office was. And if the prime minister's office was, they're in an eight as well. Uh, this is not something mm. uh, that that you can just say, oh well, shrug and move on. Uh, people. Uh, will rightly be furious if a government under false pretense calls, declares an emergency and limits civil liberties, even in the most modest of senses. Corey, do you think he keeps his job? Well, again, it, it sort of depends. Although, um, if uh, if the reporting is correct, if the police didn't ask for it, all of those things, uh, they're going to need a fall guy. So uh, I will say maybe. I don't know. Carter, it's prediction time. Does Marco Mendicino keep his job? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> well, we're going to have Marco Mendicino as our minister forever. Then we'll leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 997 of the strategists. My name is Zane Velji with me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. 